0: I am a little nervous, but as most of you know, I like to talk. So uh, this shouldn't be too hard, I guess. Um, I guess we'll start with, in October of 2011, we finalized our adoption with Israel. And as some of you know, it was a long process. It was really hard. And we thought that we were done adopting. But then, in November, I became really sick. As some of you know, I'm going to talk about it just a little bit because some of you are new and you don't know. I, I had a cold. A couple days later I went to the hospital and I had minor pneumonia. Went home with some antibiotics, went to the doctor the following Tuesday, and got sent by ambulance to the hospital where I was put on a CPAP machine. Um, they took me to the infectious disease floor. Um, I asked the doctors if they were going to make me better in... Two of them told me I was probably not going to make it. Um, I had had something called ARDS, Adult Respiratory Distress Syndrome. 90% of people who actually get that, that do not go on a ventilator, will die. And once you go on a ventilator, you have a 50-50 shot of making it. So um, I was put on a ventilator. Then it was actually on my anniversary, our 15-year anniversary. I got a helicopter ride all the way to U of M. (laughs) And... um, Yeah... (laughs) Finley spared no expenses. Um, (laughs) So um, while I'm going to say um a lot, I'm sorry. I'm just not used to speaking like this. So while I was, when I went on the ventilator, I went to sleep praying. And all I remember from the first so many days of it was just being in constant prayer. And it was a really neat experience because I got to talk to God a lot and he answered me a lot. And he worked through a lot of other things, which someday I'd love to talk about, but the one thing is at one point I asked God if I was going to live. And all of a sudden I saw a picture of seven baby rubber duckies and they were in cellophane bags. Now, the reason why this meant something to me was that a couple months before we had finalized the adoption with Izzy, I had a dream that we had seven kids. And I told Finley and he was like, oh, that's not going to (laughs) happen. And it always became our joke, we were going to have seven kids, and Finley was like, no, we're not going to have seven kids. Well, immediately I saw the seven ducks, and I said, I don't have my seven babies yet, I'm going to live. Thank you, Jesus, I'm going to live. Now, I would come in and out of consciousness, I didn't really know where I was, Finley had to tell me several times, because I went to sleep at one hospital, woke up at another didn't know what time of day it was. I just—I was in a horrible amount of pain. I couldn't move. I couldn't use my hands at that moment. When you're on a ventilator for nine days, it, it really takes a lot out of you. And, um, but every single time, I would feel afraid. Sometimes I'd wake up, and I wouldn't know the people that were around me. Um, I had this big thing in my throat. I, I was just in so much pain, but all I would focus on were the ducks. So when I'd feel afraid, I'd think about the ducks. I'm going to live because I don't have my seven babies yet. And so I held on to that. And another funny thing happened. For some reason, while I was on the ventilator, I had this, I don't know exactly what it was, but I felt like there was this little girl that I was supposed to take home with me. And I was, I was thinking about it the whole time. I was like, I'm going to get better. I'm going to take her. We're going to go home. We're going to have a new little baby girl. And I just kept thinking about it. And I couldn't really tell anyone because I had something in my mouth. But <laughs> I kept thinking about it a lot. And then eventually, on Thanksgiving, I was taken off the ventilator. And three days later, I came home, and I told Finley, and I told Kim, and Teresa, and Pat a lot of the stuff that had happened, and everybody was just, you know, very happy that I was alive. But another thing is that I realized, I felt like I had been given a bonus, like every day from the day from Thanksgiving on um, was just a bonus, it was an extra day, because I was supposed to die, and God healed me. There were lots of prayers. And, you know, that was, that was still a short version. Lots of neat stuff happened during that, but I decided I really wanted to live for God. And I think Finley also wanted to live for God a little bit more too, because we both just had become a lot closer to him. So, um, anyway, the only thing it ended up taking me about a year to get better. And I was struggling a lot with fear because we didn't know what made me sick. And it was really hard for me. Anyhow, we had told our foster parent agency that we were on a break. I was really sick, and the doctor said it would probably be a year before I was up to speed again. Nine days, one year recovery. It's crazy. Um, So we told them we weren't going to accept any more children. Then um, all of a sudden, I kept feeling, though, like I was going to have this little girl. Like I'd walk into a store, and I'd see a baby girl, and I'd just start crying. You know, it was almost like when you're going to have a baby, and you get excited, and you see people with kids. I just kept feeling that. And I'd tell Finley, and he'd just kind of smile. And actually, one day we were shopping, and I said, Finley, if we ever get to adopt a baby girl, then I want to get her these little socks that look like shoes. They're so neat. And I want to get her a little tutu. And I really want to get a diaper bag that looks like a girl diaper bag, and I want to get a girly car seat, because they didn't have any of that when our kids were younger. And, and Finley looked at me and smiled and said, Rebel, we get a little girl, you can definitely get all those things, because we're done. We're not getting any other kids. We're done. A couple days later, on February 10th, I got a phone call, um, and it was our foster agency, and there was a little baby girl who had been severely abused by her parents. Um, The problem was that that it was a very... um, it was a very public case. It was all over the news. And because of all of the circumstances, they couldn't find anyone to take her. So they, and the other thing was that she had a baby brother on the way. And with everything, they, they just they couldn't find a home. So they were like, I know you said you were on a break, but would you consider it? So um, Finley and I prayed about it. And we ended up saying yes. So that day, they brought Katie to our house. And she came in, and I'll never forget the moment. They brought her in, and she looked at me, and she looked at my face, and she touched my nose, and she touched my eyes, and she spread my lipstick all over my face. And she just was so enthralled with me. And the CPS workers who had just removed her from her home said, the whole ride there, she was, like, zoned out. She she made no noises. She made no responses. They were just in awe. You know, it was just this beautiful meeting. Finley always said it was because she saw her mom for the first time. So anyway, um, we, we ended up taking her. and That night, Finley took me shopping, and I got my socks, and I got my diaper bag, <laughs> and I got everything but a tutu. I still have not gotten a tutu for Katie. That's my, my only complaint, you know. Anyway, you'll remember I said that when I left the hospital, I struggled a lot with fear. Actually, the doctors had told me I, had, I was suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. A lot of people that go into ARDS do that because so much happens to you. You're asleep, you wake up, and all of a sudden you can't use your own body. Um, and even though they said I was healthy, I still had a lot of breathing issues. I was on a lot of medicines. I was on sedatives. I was struggling so much. I tried to take myself off medicine, that they and they were like, you can't do that. You have to wean yourself. And I'm like, no, I don't want this. And But anyway, I struggled with fear. Every time someone would come and visit with me, I'd ask them to please pray for my fear. Well, that night, having Katie, um, my fear went because from now on, I had to think about her and how much she had been harmed and how much she had suffered, and I just, it's not like I could tell anyone how you can make fear go away, but just all of a sudden, I had to focus on her, and she needed someone to take care of her. And so it went away, so that was one of the first really cool things that had happened. Um, now, we knew that Calem that was coming, and the kids were so in love with Katie already, And they really wanted to keep them. But in foster care, you always have to prepare your family that you may not be able to keep the kids. So it's a conversation you constantly have. And it was always hard with with Matthew because whenever a kid would go, um, he would be really upset by it. He'd have a really hard time, which is one of the reasons why it was really hard for us sometimes to do foster care. So one day he came downstairs and he goes, just so nonchalantly, he goes, Mom, I had a dream last night and I just wanted to let you know we're keeping both the babies. They're going to stay with us. And they just went and ate his food. I was like, okay, you know. Well, the neat thing about that was an hour later they called and Kalen was born. And so that was just, it was kind of a neat thing. I know that these are all little, little things, but when you add them up, it's pretty cool to me. Um, So now we have two babies. Now we went from having four children that were pretty grown to now we had six children, and we had three of them, two and under. It was a little bit hard, but I do want to say really quickly that in taking all the kids, I didn't have to worry about anything. The church provided meals for us. Someone from the church gave us a crib. People from the church gave us clothes. Madison's mom gave us a a gift card for $200 for diapers and stuff. I mean, everything that we needed immediately was provided for. We didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. But it still was hard, you know. I'm homeschooling. My friends and family, all well-meaning, were very nervous about me doing this because I just almost died. <laughs> and the doctors had said that the only thing they knew that contributed to it was that I was too stressed out and too busy. So a lot of people were very nervous. So, um, you know, I was, I, I was having kind of a hard time. And um, one thing is, I remember it was really hard. I remember I would go to sleep, and I'd have Calum in my arms, and I'd all of a sudden wake up to crying, and I'd look down, and it was his sister. I have to put him down and get her. And, you know, she she just, you know, when we first got her, she had a lot of problems. They thought that she was deaf because she wouldn't respond to anything. She would zone out a lot. Um, they said it could have been from all of the injuries that she had sustained and all the things that had happened to her, but they weren't sure. But anyhow, things were kind of tough. Um, Finley ended up putting in a new bedroom in her house, so our house was under construction because at the... At that time, both babies were in our room, so we needed that bedroom. But, you know, homeschooling, all this stuff. We had a car. We, didn't have, we had to take two cars everywhere, but we didn't know if we were keeping the kids because they were trying to find family for them, so we didn't know what we should do in that. Well, all of a sudden, things started to get a lot harder. Finley's dad had a stroke and then died in the middle of all this. And then my car died, <laughs> and the transmission was gone. And then to top it all off, Um, someone had broken into our bank account and stolen all of our money and all of our children's money out of their savings accounts. And I remember just wanting to give up. I sent a text to Pat and Jessica, and I said, I think I want to give up. I really felt like maybe I was punished, like maybe someone better was supposed to be Katie's mom. You know, maybe I wasn't in God's will and I was trying to take things into my own hand. Maybe I wasn't strong enough to do this. I felt really overwhelmed, and everybody quickly prayed for me and, and, and helped me, but I still was feeling... I was having a hard time, so anyway, we had to start looking for a car, and we found this car, and we found it was a car that you know it was a blessing to Finley because it was an excursion, and he's like a manly man, and manly men like excursions—they're big, powerful trucks. So we went to—he went to go look at it, and I was on the phone with him when he was driving to the gentleman's house, and he said. You know, I, I I got off the phone with him, and I prayed. Dear Lord, I prayed that he would share our story with him so that he would deal kindly with Finley. Now, some of you here know Finley, and some of you don't. I talk a lot. Finley doesn't. He doesn't tell anybody anything. He's a really private guy. So that was a big prayer request. Anyhow, so he comes home. He really liked the car. He wanted to buy it. Um, but the the catch was the only bank we could find that would do the loan wanted to would only do it for 2000 less than what the gentleman wanted. And so we called the gentleman, and he had gotten an offer for the price he asked for, but he said he'd talk to his wife and he'd get back to us. So um, anyway, he ends up getting back to us, and, and Finley was talking to him on the phone, and he came out and he said, he's going to sell it to us, and he's going to sell it to us for $2,000 less. And do you know why? And I said, why? And he goes, because, you know, what? you'll never guess what I did. I told him all about all the kids when I looked at the car, and he said that he just wanted to help us rather than give it to the other guy. But see, that's not even the end of the story. So you remember, I don't. my, my credit cards are froze. I have no access to money, and I need $1,000 down for the car. So we were going to open up a new credit card and do a cash advance and just do it that way so we could get into the car and be done with it, except for... Pat had called us and said that Church on the Street was going to give us the $1,000 down payment for the car. But I have to backtrack a little bit because the Sunday before, Pat had made the announcement about what happened, and you all prayed for me. And do you guys remember Denny and Mindy? They come in here from Justice Village. Well, they have an adoption ministry, and they've, they've given up all their work just to work in the ministry full time, so they don't really have a steady income. And Denny came to us after church and gave us $100, and I felt really bad about keeping it because he didn't have money, but Pat said, you have to keep it because when people bless you, you have to accept that blessing. It's from God. And so we did keep it, but this is the neat part. When we went to go close for our, our car, we still had no access to any of our money and we were doing it at a credit union and we needed to have money to open up a bank account. And at first we didn't even think about that. We're like, we have no access to any of our money. We can't write a check. We can't do anything. And then I reached in my purse and I had the hundred dollars that Denny had given us a week before. Now, to me, this is all amazing because God knew all the time what was happening, what was going to happen, and he provided. And we went from, that was all within one week's time. The beginning of the week was really hard, and the end of the week, we felt really blessed. So um, another thing that happened is by this time, they were moving really hard to move Cadence and Calum with their family. And their family... um, their their family is not like anything that we can imagine. So we were extremely concerned for that. The abuses that had run, that had happened to Cadence, several family members had been guilty of doing the same things to other children. So it wasn't just so hard that we weren't going to get to keep them. It was that we loved them. And imagine your own children, you have to go place them in a home where you know these people harm children. So it was a big stress on me. And one night I had a dream that I was driving, and I had Calum in the front seat, and I was like, he can't be in the front seat. That's against the law. So I pulled over and went to go put him in his car seat, and this old man came out, and he was in a pilot uniform, and, and I did what any good Christian would do, and I lied to him and told him that I was changing the baby's diaper. I don't know if it's wrong if I lie in my dreams or not, but that's what I did. But the man, he came up to me, and he said, Mom, of all the children that we ever fostered, you enjoyed Calum the most. And I looked at the man and I said, Matthew, is that you? And he said, yes, mom. And he hugged me. And he said, I said, Matthew, did we adopt Cadence and Caleb? And he goes, yes, we adopted them. And I said, did I live through your childhood? Because, you know, got sick. The biggest thing is I want to raise my kids. It's like you lived through your childhood. And I said, are all of you guys close? Because in my family... There's a lot of bitterness and a lot of brokenness, and I want more than anything for my kids to love each other and be close together. And and he said, yes, we're all very close. And I just remember waking up, feeling at such peace. I was so happy. But then, the next time, then within the next week, they started file. Um, they filed paperwork to move them with the family. And the social workers, the kids' lawyers, it was all going forward. They were all, I had an argument with the lawyer, which turned out to be a good thing because the guardian ad litem came and yelled at me at my house. And the guardian ad litems are the lawyers who are the lawyers for the foster children. And they rec- 90% of the time, what they recommend to the judge is what the judge will do. And they wanted the children to be moved. And the funny thing is that at that point, point Rosie decided, she, my oldest, that she was going to be a guardian ad litem. And right now she's a Junior in high school and has 52 college credits and is working really hard to be able to get her law degree. So, sorry, I'm not sure if that counts. So, um, as part of this, anyhow, um, I remember still being upset about that, and I went to Jessica's house to drop off Rosie, and we ended up praying. And I just told, I just, I just, you know, told her how much I was struggling, and she prayed with me, and we prayed and prayed. And when we got done, we both felt like. We both said the same thing, that God was telling us not to look at what reality was showing, that that wasn't his plan. But still, I struggle with faith. So I go home, and now they they've, they did this thing called, it was an emergency session, and they, they went, and they, they were going to move them in 30 days to Florida. And they were going to go set up an inspection in two weeks, and they told us that by, um, by November the kids were going to be moved. So it was really hard, so I was kind of struggling a little bit about it. So I was praying one morning, and all of a sudden I was praying about this, and God said, when I say God said, I guess it was just something that was on my heart. He brought to mind this, this, this thing that happened to me when I was young. When I was going into school, um, I had a lot of, I had some problems, I had some emotional issues, and so we knew who my teacher was going to be ahead of time. Most kids didn't know until the first day of school it was like, go to school, and do you get the mean teacher or do you get the good teacher? Well, I had known ahead of time that I had gotten the good teacher, but on the bus ride, all the kids were all telling stories about the bad teacher and telling stories about, you know, silly stories, you know, the dungeon or whatever. And um, I remember they were like, you don't know if you have the teacher. Nobody knows what teacher they're going to have. You don't know. And I got so afraid. I got so afraid that when I got to school, I went and looked at the list instead of going to my teacher's classroom And I did have the right teacher. And so God told me that that's how this is. Do you remember how you felt then? This is how it is. I'm telling you, the kids are going to stay with you. But immediately, because I'm struggling with faith, I remember this friend that I have. Her name was Shannon. And she had this little girl placed in her home. And I remember she told me, I had a dream I was going to have this girl. And I had her and everything was going bad, but I knew that I was going to have her. Well, to make a long story short, over the course of six months, she lost her. They took the girl out of her home. Someone else was in the process of adopting her. And so I thought about that immediately, and I said, God, I know this is just me. This isn't you. You didn't say this, because I remember Shannon said she had a dream, and she's got so much more faith than me, and look what happened to her. And I said, amen. You know, I just figured I'm just crazy or whatever, and my phone rings. And it was Shannon. (laughs) And she goes, you're never going to guess what happened. She said, I got her back. They're going to bring her back to my house. But the thing is, I'm telling you the truth. I am not, I know I can be an exaggerator, but it w- I couldn't believe it. I really had just stopped praying that when that was the phone call that happened. So um, then the, the next thing that happened was we were still in the process of waiting to see what was going to happen with that. And the parents were now on trial. And I just want you to, first of all, I prayed constantly because the parents had started saying they were Christians. And I don't know. I think that anyone can come to God no matter what they've done. And I will say that being a foster parent, I've always prayed for all of my foster children's parents. And even now after I've adopted them, I still pray for them because I sometimes feel like that's the calling because maybe they're the way they are because nobody loved them and no one's praying for them. And I still, I always pray not to harbor bitterness towards them for what they did to my children. And, um, but I did pray that if they did these things, that they and they were really Christians, I prayed that they would confess. Because I feel like if we want God's forgiveness, we have to confess. And I don't want anyone to go to hell. I don't want anyone to, I want everybody to know God, even the people that do bad stuff. Because guess what? They won't do bad stuff anymore if they know God, right? So anyway, it was kind of neat because they both did confess. But something horrible happened. And the police forgot to tag all of the evidence, and a mistrial was called. And in, in the United States, there's something called double jeopardy. You can't be tried twice for the same crime. And by the end of the week, the parents were going to be released. And if that were so, we were going to have to start up visitation with the children. And they, I was, I was beside myself with grief because these parents, they did horrible things to, to Katie. And they may be getting out because the judge had to call a mistrial. So the next day I was supposed to do this um, science co-op with two of my friends because we homeschool. And um, I was just having a hard time because they were meeting to figure out what they were going to do if they were going to go forward with a mistrial. And so we decided we weren't going to do our science lessons. We were just going to pray all morning. And so we prayed for three hours. And then we got a phone call. I got a phone call from the foster agency, and the judge reversed his decision to um, grant them a mistrial. And he said that the verdict would stand. So I, now, now this, you can say, whoa, except for that then the, later on when we talked to the guardian and light she told me that that doesn't happen very often. It's really not, it's not good for judges to, to go and reverse things like that. And so, but they did it and she had actually never seen it in any of her cases. A mistrial was a mistrial and it stood and that was the only time she saw it. And I did tell her that I had been praying. So anyhow, um, so that's going on. Um, now, um, after this, the the kids were supposed to they were supposed to go in a couple of weeks to Florida, and the aunt was all set. She was going to have her inspection done, and they went to her house to do the inspection, and she wouldn't let them in. She told them that she wasn't ready, and she felt like they would turn her down, so she was just going to wait. And that's the last time we ever heard from the aunt again. All of a sudden, all the letters came back. Everything came back. She just had dropped out of the, out of the picture. Now, um, it's really, it was really hard to be a foster parent because we have a lot of rules and regulations that we have to follow. So um, something else that happened was you when we first started being a foster parent, you couldn't use any corporal punishment on your own children when you were a foster home, which means you couldn't spank your own children even, you know, not, I mean, it's not just the foster children, your own children. And we were starting to have some severe behavioral issues, and it was becoming very stressful, and we were really feeling torn because were we going to use corporal, were we going to let our kids get away with things? Were we going to use corporal punishment and then lie about it? And I just felt really uncomfortable with everything, and we just decided that we were going to have to call and say that, you know, we needed to be able to use this. And so... Um, we ended up having our relicensing meeting, and I started to um, talk to the, the worker, and she said, you know what, we actually just got in trouble last week for the rules that we gave you, and we were told that we're not allowed to tell you guys what you can do with your own children. Now, this had been this isn't just something that just happened. This has been for like 10 years before that. That's why they lost a lot of foster homes, because a lot of people... I mean, I don't beat my children very often, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I wanted to be able to do that. So again, you know, <laughs> so I can say that now, because right now I'm not a foster home. Um, so um, now, by now, we, K- Katie's special needs were becoming very evident. It wasn't just um, from trauma. She had some, some issues, And later on, we found out um, Katie has autism, and she has severe autism. And just so you know, Finley and I never thought we would adopt any children with special needs because we're not against it. We know there's a need for it, but we didn't feel like we could handle it. And just a little sidebar, you know, you see people up here all the time who adopt lots of kids and have kids with special needs, and you, you see them, and they have it together. And some of them really do. They're organized, they're calm, they're patient. I just want to testify to you that that is not us. (laughs) It is not us. And I'm not telling you this to put myself down. I'm telling you this because if there's a part of you that thinks that there's something lacking in you to be able to help children, you know, God says that through our weakness, he is made strong. And I do believe that, that, that we all can do it. We shouldn't look at what we couldn't do. But anyhow, so things are getting a little bit harder for us again. Um, I'm having to take Katie to tons of therapies, I'm having to take her to court. I mean, there's not her to court. I'm having to go to court. There's just lots of stuff going on. Um, and, uh, it's, it's November, late November. And my husband as I, I, cause I feel like you haven't laughed lately enough. So I'll just tell this really quick story. He broke his back, but the reason why it, it can be funny is because he stepped onto a, Um, table saw to turn on Christmas lights and fell onto a ladder and broke his back. And he's a fireman, yes. So now he broke his back. And I guess I, I, I should backtrack this just a little bit and say that Finley was really struggling with whether or not we could do this. We really, like what Pat said, we realized that Katie was going to be with us forever. It wasn't going to be that when she was 18 she'd be moved out. We realized that we are, were not the most patient people. You know, he's a fireman. They don't make as good of money as they make it sound like they do on the news, so we were concerned about finances. Um, and we were, we felt bad about if we weren't giving our kids enough, you know. And a lot of people would tell us that. You know, they were all well-meaning, but, you know, for me, it's hard when I hear those things for me to block them out. So he was really struggling, and he didn't know if he could do it, and and, like, there would be so many days he would say, you know, we can't do this. We can't do this. And um, anyhow, so so he broke his back. And uh, one another neat thing that happened was I remember I was at the hospital, and before I took him home I was like, I need to go shopping and get everything I need because I'm not going to be able to leave for a little bit once I get him home. And I was at the store, and I was getting a couple of things, and I felt God say, don't, you don't need to get that. I've taken care of that. You don't need to get that. I've taken care of that. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to depend on other people. I have money. I can do this, whatever. So I got some stuff, but we came home from the hospital, and the tailors were, came over, and they brought us food for a month. They brought us all the diapers. They, I mean, God told me I didn't listen to them. But it, it was it was a, a neat thing. Um so now the next thing that's happening is I'm, I am struggling because I'm trying to take care of Finley, and people are saying things again, and I'm, I'm, I am struggling. And um, I just kept feeling like everything keeps getting harder, you know. Things are happening like this. I'm sorry, I'm taking too long. Okay. Um, and I remember I was praying, God, I need you to show me that I'm in your will. I need you to show me that this is okay. Um, and uh, every day that I got into the car that day, um. Sorry, I'm opening my notes. Um, This new song by Stephen Curtis Chapman was on every single time I turned on the radio, whatever station I turned it on, and it was taking the long way home. And so I'm just going to read it to you a little bit. It says, I set out on a great adventure the day my father started leading me home. said there's going to be some mountains to climb and some valleys we're going to go through. But I had no way of knowing just how hard this journey could be. Cause the valleys are deeper and the mountains are steeper than I ever would have dreamed. But I know we're going to make it and I know we're going to get there soon. And I know sometimes it feels like we're going the wrong way. Like I wasn't supposed to adopt them, but it's just a long way home. I got some rocks in my shoes, fears I wish I could lose. They make the mountains seem so hard to climb and my heart gets so heavy with the weight of the world sometimes. Um, and I'm just going to read it all. I'm sorry. I know that day is coming. I know it's going to be here soon. I won't turn back even if the whole world says I'm going the wrong way because I'm just taking the long way home. And when we can't take another step, the Father will pick us up and carry us in his arms. And even on the best days, he says to remember, we're not home yet, so don't get too comfortable because we're really all just pilgrims passing through. Well, I know I'm going to make it, and I know I'm going to get there soon. So I'll keep singing and believing what all of my songs say because our God has made us a promise and I know everything he says is true. And I know wherever we go, he will never leave us because he's going to lead us home every single step of the long way home. Keep on. We're going to make it. I know we're going to make it. We're just taking the long way home. And every and, and later on, I actually got an opportunity to hear on the radio why he wrote that song, and it was after the death of his daughter Maria. And he said, I questioned whether or not I was supposed to adopt her and if she wouldn't have died if I hadn't adopted her. And I know people say I grasp at straws, but to me, my struggle was, was I, am I supposed to take these kids? Because I know how weak I am. So anyway... Um, Finley was recovering, and he had to stay home for three months with his broken back. And the only thing that Finley could do for me in that time was hold the baby. <laughs> Couldn't do anything else. And he grew so close to Calum; He just fell in love with him. And I remember one day he just said that they weren't going anywhere, that he was never going to let him go. So all that doubt that he had, God used his broken back to, to grow this relationship with him. So now we're starting the adoption. But again, I, I think you're seeing a pattern here. Things were getting hard again. You know, they kind of would get hard, and they'd get, they'd get easier and get harder. And so I was really struggling again. And again, I prayed and said, God, am I doing the right thing? Do you really want me to adopt these kids? You'd think I would have known by now. But this is the best story yet. So the next day I went to church, and Patty Engberg took me aside and said, I have to tell you something. She goes, you know, last year, um, me and a friend from the Freedom Center, we prayed all day for children that were abused. We prayed all day long. And the next day, there was a news story on. And um, it was about, about your daughter, Katie. And at this time, we, hadn't, we couldn't tell people who, who they were or anything like that. And she goes, and my friend called me and said, God is going to show you specifically that your prayers had something to do with, with saving that little girl. She goes, and the next Sunday, you walked into church with her. And I knew that that was who she was. And she didn't tell me then. She told me the day after the last time I prayed and asked God if I was supposed to have the kids. Now, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't think that at that point I was asking him anymore if we should adopt him. <laughs> So our adoption was finalized. Another little need story is that um, we were we were going away on the 13th for our anniversary, and the adoption worker called us a couple days before and said, "Hey, do you want to finalize your adoption on the 13th in the morning?" And I'm like, "Heck yeah!" So I got uh, God gave us an awesome anniversary present. We got to finalize our adoption and then leave our children with a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, it's another thing. It's hard to leave kids with people because I only have so, so many people I could leave them with when I was in the in the middle of it. But um, you know, the thing is, another thing that that um, Patty was told was that our church was supposed to play a role in Katie's um, in Katie's healing. And so we dedicated it, but I don't think you guys all realized how serious God had intended. You're all here right now for a reason, and. You know, you all have been called to be a part of her life. But I just, I just, my my heart is really for adoption. And I know a lot of people have a lot of reasons, and I hope you guys see that sometimes you just have to step out. The people that know me, I'm not a super faithful girl. You should have seen me today. I, I almost, like, called in sick because I was really scared to come do this. Um, I'm not super elegant. We're not super rich. We're not the best parents. Our kids are always the ones that get kicked out of church, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> Um but you know it 's okay because we 're willing to do what God asks us to do, and I promise you that for the things we 've had to give up, God has given us so much more I mean the closeness with my husband to look at my children and how they are with Katie to look at my daughter who 's going to be a guardian and light them so that she can help take care of foster kids and you know that 's another thing is when she started college, I prayed God, can you please help me to have money for this she 's doing a, a at home correspondence program. I said, amen, and my phone beeped, and someone offered me a job. I was really hoping it was going to be someone gave me a check, but I'll take the job. So I guess that that's all.